He's a parole officer in New Jersey. He sat on parole requests for convicted cop killers and a person who didn't want to be paroled. He's here to tell the story on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. One of the questions I get all the time is how can I show my support for law enforcement? We're all busy. We've got busy lives, but there's something oh so simple you can do with our Facebook page. Search for Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. And when you see a post you agree with that resonates with you, share it, especially episodes of the podcast. To do all that, just search for us on Facebook, look for Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, and be sure to click like. Connecting with us from New Jersey, we have Dr. John, no relation to the the performer, the musician, Dr. John Patakis. Uh, Did I pronounce your last name the right way? Uh, Patakis. Patakis. I'm going to get it right before this interview is over. I promise you that. Uh, Dr. John is author of the book, 50 Years Working in Criminal Justice. He's a criminal justice consultant. He's a probation officer in the state of New Jersey for 29 years, a Seton Hall University professor for 20 years, worked at state parole board for 10 years. I'd say he's uniquely qualified to be carrying the label of criminal justice consultant. And it's a pleasure to have you here on the show. Thanks for sharing your story. Very much appreciated. Thank you. So you got a lot of time involved in this. How long have you been doing it all together? Yeah, probably uh, close to 54 years. Ah, that's you know. a long time. That's I would love to say that's longer than I've been alive, but it's not true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just turned 65. But you've been working in multi, multiple facets of law enforcement, from probation officer uh, to being a professor and a state parole board. Let's start with the state parole board, because I think that's one that a lot of people really don't understand. And I'll be one of those, to be honest with you, I'm one of those people. Yeah, well, you know, and it's different, you know, from state to state. Uh, the way it is in New Jersey, uh, it's a six-year appointment uh you're authorized to make evaluations and predictions uh, whether you want to deny somebody parole or uh, whether you should be released. We do it in pairs of two. Two individuals uh, sit, no attorney, uh, in a confidential room, either in the prison or some other location. Uh, we interview the inmate for a period of time, depending on the, the type of crime and the, and the background information. We have all the social psychological information, the prison reports, etc., which have been reviewed, um, and then we interview the person, uh, a series of questions to try and evaluate them and confirm uh, certain things and let them have their say as to why they feel they're ready. Uh, and this goes on. It can go on from 20 minutes to an hour to several hours. The case I'm going to talk about in a few minutes is probably one of the longest cases uh, in, in the state's history. Uh, on a murder case, it has to be the majority of the board. So at the particular time that I was sitting on the board, there were eight members. So on a murder case, it's got to be nine people interviewing that one individual. Right? You really want to be as thorough as you can before making a decision on a case like that. 
the case I'm going to talk about uh, was a, a cop killer case uh, took place in the mid '60s. Okay, uh, and the, the background was uh, it was late in the evening, and um, there was a bar open in a local town, uh, and two individuals with lengthy prior records, uh, drug involvement, uh, uh, drinking a lot of alcohol, came into the bar, were sitting at the bar drinking, continuing their use of alcohol, and they had come in high on drugs. Some type of altercation or disturbance took place in the bar, and the owner called the local police. Uh, the police came immediately on the scene or uh, into the parking lot, and one was a sergeant and one was a probationary police officer uh, who had just came out of the academy and wasn't carrying a weapon uh, and wasn't supposed to supposedly at that point. So the sergeant said to him, I'll go inside first and check things out. Uh, the sergeant goes into the bar and he tries to mediate, uh, you know, the arguments going on there. Uh, both of these defendants uh, attacked the officer, took the weapon away from him, uh, stripped him down of his clothing, uh, was holding him in there. Well, a long time had gone by and the probation uh, police officer in the car so I better go in and take a look at things he goes inside or whatever they attack him the same thing uh, they disrobe him uh, put him down on his hands and knees in the ground uh, and both uh, of these individuals uh, were involved in executing the police officer and the probationary officer, and that they absconded. Okay, the one individual <clears throat> took off uh, to New York and died in a shootout with local police there. Uh, the second one uh, <clears throat> went and gave himself up. He figured he was going to get caught. He wanted to still live, so he ran and gave himself up. Uh, so that's when it started. It went through the whole trial process and everything, and he was convicted of, you know, murder in the first degree. Uh, and at that time, in this state, we had uh, the death penalty. Right. So he was given uh, the death penalty uh, by electrocution, the electric chair, okay? And as you may know, it can take anywhere from 10 to 15 years, even if somebody is sentenced today to uh, the death penalty with appeals and everything, it can take that long. Well, in the mid-70s, uh, <clears throat> the death penalty was overturned in this state. It was uh, declared to be unconstitutional. The sentence was committed to 25 years, a life sentence, which was 25 years uh, <clears throat> uh, without parole at that time. And then the individual is eligible. The yeah. death penalty was overturned. We could talk about that all day long, but that really is not the issue. When he it was overturned, his sentence was adjusted. What was it adjusted to? Uh, a life imprisonment, which was 25 years, uh, <clears throat> and then he's eligible, eligible gotcha. for parole. So when you say life in prison, and, and this is a, a thing that a lot of people don't get, when you say life in prison, it doesn't mean life. It doesn't mean you're going to take your last breath there necessarily. Right. Unless, unless the judge says life imprisonment, no parole. Right. All right. So or you get federal time. That, and they, they and, do, and, you and do and every you're minute. There until your demise. Gotcha. So he, his sentence okay. was overturned and he was given life in prison with the possibility of parole. Correct? Exactly. All right. Right. And then apparently uh, he petitioned for parole. Uh, well, automatically, there's a calculation uh, that they do based on credits and good time behavior, et cetera, uh, and they'll tell you when it's scheduled. So now at that particular time, I wasn't uh, 
on the board. He went through numerous poll hearings every several years uh, and was always denied. All right? There was always, uh, as you can imagine, a lot of strong public opinion from law enforcement people, the families, members of the officers, uh, right. you know, uh, uh, picketing not to have him paroled. All right? So he was always turned down. Plus, his initial adjustment was not that good while he was in there. All right? He never admitted to the crime. Uh, he said he had memory loss. Uh, he blamed it on the other defendant who was killed in a shootout. Uh, uh, but again, the jury, he went to a jury trial and the jury made the decision. So the parole doesn't retry the case. But what we're looking for is, is this individual uh, repentant? Uh, is he, you know, admitting to the crime? Uh, take responsibility. Uh, what's he going to do now? Uh, but one of the issues is always, you know, when you're appearing not repentant, not admitting the crime, uh, and denying everything. And the memory loss thing, uh, I've heard numerous times from inmates over the years. You know, I've interviewed over 7,000 people. I bet you have heard every, every excuse and every explanation in the book. We're talking with Dr. John Patekas. Did I get it right this time? You got it. Ah, he is a criminal justice consultant, author of the book, 50 Years Working in Criminal Justice. He's been a probation officer, uh, Seton Hall University professor, uh, State Parole Board. We're talking about paroling cop killers. We'll return to that conversation in just a few moments. This is Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Remember when news was free? Be sure to check out the Newsbreak app. It's free. And be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and podcast on the Newsbreak app. Newsbreak is your number one local news app for current events, free live news for you and your community. Download the Newsbreak app today for free. And be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and podcast on the Newsbreak app. That's the free Newsbreak app. Be sure to look for and follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and podcast turn to our conversation with dr john patakis criminal justice consultant from new jersey he's author of the book 50 years working in criminal justice he's been a probation officer for 29 years a seton hall university college professor for 20 years state parole board for 10 years in the state of new jersey and we're talking about a case i'm familiar with and we're not going and i want people to understand this we're not going into the names of the defendant not because they're not guilty because it adds another layer that we don't want to have to deal with number one my personal philosophy is i don't believe in giving cop killers any publicity whatsoever and this this guy was convicted of murdering uh two police officers his cohort co-conspirator whatever you want to call him was killed in a shootout with police he was originally sentenced to death convicted this death sentence was overturned given uh, life in prison with the possibility of parole and when we left we want to find out how did you get involved in this whole parole process when he came up for it so uh, there are the full-time positions, and I was an alternate <clears throat> because I was still teaching at the university. And so the alternate has all the same responsibilities uh, and, and duties uh, as a full-time person. But we get called in when somebody's on vacation, they're sick or whatever. So it might be three, four, five days a month or whatever. And we have the same authority and power as, as the full-time people. So on this particular case, I figured, oh, boy, everybody's going to show up. Now, again, remember, on the murder case, it's got to be the majority of the board particular time, there were, I think, uh, 16 people on the board, so it had to be nine 
parole board members to hear the case. The night before somebody calls in sick, I get the call uh, late at night. Uh, can you make it tomorrow morning? I said, I'll be there. Uh, so uh, that's how I, I got you know, uh, involved. So this is your your normal thing that you did all the time, but you were aware going into it, or were you aware going into it, what kind of case it was and what this person was convicted of doing? Uh, Yeah, I was familiar with the case because uh, in preparation, I knew a month in advance it was going to be scheduled. And even though I wasn't scheduled, I read all the information just in case somebody was out sick. And sure enough, uh, as I indicated, somebody couldn't make it. uh, And so I got the call the day before. uh, And I I had all the information fairly fresh in my mind or whatever. So that's how that happened. uh, and and I'll, I'll go into, you know, the actual setting, and uh, I'll start describing that uh, if that, you know, Before we do that, aesthetic. were you aware of any extra pressure? Um, when I say pressure, not necessarily a negative or positive, from other police officers, FOP, PBA, family members, uh, and that, or, or the general public about this parole opportunity? Well, uh, yeah, 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 to be honest. Now, and again, you know, we get people's opinions, you know, uh, all the time or whatever, and you can certainly understand. And especially, I mean, I always had a lot of involvement with uh, people in the police officers. I taught some courses at a police academy. I had friends who were police officers. Uh, I met officers while I was on, you know, in the probation system. So I knew a lot of officers. And uh, I mean, obviously, you can imagine the majority said, oh, you know, they shouldn't parole that guy or whatever. And all I said was, well, we have have certain procedures and guidelines or whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I have to be fair and impartial, uh, you know, so I can understand that. But yeah, but nobody really strong armed kind of thing. Gotcha. I, I never got any uh, political thing or anything like that one way or another. You were aware of the pressure. And but you, and I'm I'm paraphrasing. You have to go by the facts of the case to make your decision. You got to go by the facts it? of the case. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, you know, it's like judges, police officers, uh, and anybody involved in that kind of system. You're held to a higher standard. I mean, you're making decisions on people's lives. You know, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, are there a few bad apples in any organization? Uh, yeah, uh, that's true. There's a small percentage, probably in everything. But uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the people I, I worked with on the board and really high standard of that professionalism. So you hear a lot of different things that, you know, don't parole this guy, this guy ought to be executed, et cetera. Uh, but we know we have to base it on fact because uh, it can be overturned. Everything is recorded uh, and, you know, and the individual has a right to appeal the decision uh, and it's all recorded. So if you made a decision that wasn't based on fact, then it's your credibility and, you know, uh, you could, not, losing the position, that's right. the least of it, but your reputation you know, uh, so you know, we had that, to use you know. a, a lot of discretion. That was a term that we used a lot. And look, there were times I'll be totally honest with you, doctor, that I wound up arresting people I didn't want to, but I didn't feel yeah. like I had a real choice in the matter. We had to do right. it anyway. And there were times right. where this is the real thing that people don't seem to get. You have to be professional with everybody, but there were people who you really wanted to throttle, but you couldn't. Right. You had to, and what's you saying? You can't beat common sense into stupid people. They'll, they'll, they'll still be stupid and you have bloody knuckles and, and a regular chance to go to jail. So you have to use the facts of the case, not your personal feelings. Is, is that a good way of explaining things about what you had to do? 
Yeah, and the only other thing I'll add to it is that, uh, and I think you could relate to this or anybody in, in law enforcement, you have a gut feeling. I mean, the more, the longer you're in this field and the more people you talk to, uh, it's like the profiling kind of thing. You know, I could read people pretty good, I think, uh, and not just on what they say, but, you know, there's those nonverbal kind of signs to, you know, their attitude, their uh, their eye contact, uh, where they're looking, right. uh, you know, how they're acting, they're perspiring. I, I, you know, all those kind of things come into play. And it's not always a complete scientific thing, but I, I do feel that over a period of years being in the field, that has a lot of validity because I've dealt with, a, you know, a, a lot of long-term police officers who were doing homicide investigations, and they had a good sense of evaluating people, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, based on uh, the interview and that kind of thing. So, so there you were in the, the pro- parole hearing with this convicted cop killer uh, and to whatever degree you're comfortable, lay the scenario for us. What was it like? How, what was the behavior like? And, and certainly focus on how you perceive things. As I, I think I indicated before, it was held at a state prison in a big conference room. There were nine of us uh, on the board at that time for that hearing, and we were sitting in a horseshoe-type setting, and then they escort him in, uh, and he sits like in the middle. Now, right off the bat, he come bopping in with, with this type of walk that, uh, I don't know how else to describe it, kind of like bopping in the room, smiling, and he looks at the chairman, and he knew a lot of these people on the board because he's seen them before. He had been at three or four prior parole hearings. So he goes, okay, uh, okay, all you political hacks, I'm here for the hearing. That's how he starts it off. Uh, That's not good. Yeah, yeah, you political hacks of the governor. So the chairman says, well, do you want to sign off and waive your right to this hearing and we'll make a decision? Or No, no, no. He says, I'll go along with this charade. Right. And I'm thinking, man, you know, it's like walking into a courtroom and bad mouthing the judge. (laughs) It's not a good way to start. No, that's not not the best idea. No. And what a smirk on your face, you know. So we're talking about your life, guy. You know, you're looking for parole. This is what I'm running through my mind. But again, you know, okay, let's go through everything. So, you know, they start off with the chairman and everybody can ask uh, all the questions they want or whatever. Uh, And this goes on and on. We're going to take a short Uh, break on the note. I promise you when we return, we're going to talk more about this parole hearing. This is Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. One of the questions I get all the time is how can I show my support for law enforcement? We're all busy. We've got busy lives, but there's something oh so simple you can do with our Facebook page. Search for Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. And when you see a post you agree with that resonates with you, share it, especially episodes of the podcast. To do all that, just search for us on Facebook, look for Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, and be sure to click like. Let's turn conversation on Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show with Dr. John Patekas. He is a criminal justice consultant, author of the book, 50 Years Working in Criminal Justice, a probation officer for 29 years, Seton Hall University professor for 20 years, state parole board in New Jersey for 10 years. We're talking about being on the, the parole board in the hearing for a convicted cop killer. And we're not going to go into a lot of details about this guy, but for winter break, you're saying he was sarcastic, he was insulting, he had a smirk on his face, he came in and like, yeah, and 
How many people did not see the video recently of the the guy attacking the judge in Las Vegas? It, that is not a good idea to attack people that can control the outcome of your life, verbally or physically. No, no, it isn't. But uh, anyway, so I, I just wanted to tell you, the question he asked me, because he can ask anybody, he says, you saw my record. The last number of years, I've made a good adjustment, so that means I should get paroled. I said, no, Mr. So-and-so, uh, not necessarily. That means you do well in a controlled setting. Uh, and he said, no, no, that's not what it is. That's not what it is. Uh, and again, the point of that was that he had become prisonized over a period of time. And it's true, the last several years, his adjustment was good. He didn't get into any other trouble, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, uh, but he still didn't admit to the offense. He still uh, was not repentant, uh, and he still hang on to this thing about memory loss thing. Uh, you know, so you got to move on from. If you did the wrong thing, uh, we want to know, you know, uh, how you're going to correct it, and then where do you go from there? So uh, again, uh, next step is we, we decide. We tell him to leave. The board converses for you know a period of time. Uh, it was almost majority of the board members. Uh, said no. He's, he still hasn't accomplished or admitted to his offense. He's not taking responsibility, uh, and uh, we deny him. Right? Uh, it was uh, <clears throat> he appealed it to the uh, uh, Supreme Court of, New, of the state, and it was uh, well. I wouldn't say overturned completely. It was amended to paroling him uh, to a halfway house. Okay, which is somewhat of a confined facility off uh, the prison right. place or whatever. And he had to be confined to that, like, uh, initially 24 hours a day with counseling. Uh, and then they get him, like, a part-time job in, in the town or whatever. So he served the rest of his time there. It was a total of almost 40 years of incarceration. So one of the longest incarcerated person in the state, okay? Uh, my understanding is I don't have exactly because now his parole has... Uh, terminated. He's about 86 years old, uh, and I understand he's living somewhere in, in the state. Hasn't created any further problems. That's, but, well, that's good to uh, know like about said, that. Was, I, I don't think, personally, I don't think he should have been released, but that's that's just me. Uh, but one of the things you said earlier, and I have, well, I've come in contact with this quite a bit, is you said prisonized, or uh, the term that I've always used is institutionalized. When people... When people tell you right. what time to get up, what time to go to bed, what time do you eat, everything else, you learn to adjust. Some of these people have a really tough time right. when they get the ultimate right. freedom, they get released. Well, he had a certain amount of, if you can believe this, status within the prison uh, among uh, you know some of the other inmates, you know, uh, and uh, he was helping some of them, uh, you know, with ways to. Uh, prepare better for parole or whatever, you know. Uh, so he knew all the little nuances of uh, the system and, uh, you know, what will look favorable, uh, how to even sort of fake out some people or whatever, right. uh, how to win over maybe some of the correction officers that uh, are a little bit easily manipulated, you know. Um, so, and then he realized that to get parole, I really can't get into any problems, et cetera, et cetera. But again, he didn't get paroled until uh, his much later years, uh, you know, in prison. Um, I think the next case will explain some of this a little bit more. Well, let's go into the details of that. You get this this parole hearing, the gentleman, and I use that term loosely, was how long were they incarcerated for? And what were they convicted of? 
About 38 years, a little over 38 years. Do you remember what the conviction was for? Yeah, he had a series of uh, uh, burglaries, robberies, uh, drug. It wasn't a it wasn't a first degree murder uh, like that. Uh, <clears throat> this one I, I came on on as a regular parole hearing, so it was only a, a two member person uh, interviewing him. And he was an elderly gentleman, maybe in his early 80s. Uh, he had been in less number of years, uh, maybe 28 to 30 years, I believe. Uh, <clears throat> And he had a few adjustment problems at the beginning, uh, but the last 10 or 15 years, he uh, had no problems at all. He was looked up as a mentor to the younger inmates. Uh, he had a like a management role in, in, the, uh, disp- in the dispensary and in the uh, uh, laundry room. Uh, and he was like very comfortable there and very unusual. When he first came into the room, um, his first words were, I don't want to get paroled. And we said, well, wait a minute, you know, you're entitled to this hearing, we'll go over everything procedure-wise, and then we'll decide and, and advise you. He goes, okay, I just want to let you know, uh, I don't want to be paroled, uh, you know. Uh, well, okay. So we go through all the questioning and the programs he went through and uh, his adjustment in, in prison or whatever, and he made it known that he had no family left. Um, you know, his wife had divorced him. Uh, his children stopped visiting him. He said, all my friends are in prison. You know, I, I got a job here. I'm taken care of. I have some health benefits. Uh, some health problems and they take care of it uh and again also as an aside keep in mind it's very expensive to keep somebody in prison yeah Uh, i don't know if you know you know have any idea the average price is fifty thousand a year but if you have medical attention you're entitled to uh hospitalization you're entitled to uh, an operation if you need so for an elderly person it could run up to a hundred thousand a year now not that money should be you know a major factor but but it you know we are spending a lot of money uh for somebody who still presents a danger to society okay correct Correct. uh if they don't uh then you know uh, they're paroled to halfway houses or uh, social service programs etc but this this guy made it clear to you that this guy made it clear to you that he didn't want to be paroled right yeah he didn't want to come out of prison and and he told you the reasons why he, uh, he had again, no I mean, family that, left. He had he was well thought of. He had a purpose there. He was well taken care of. Uh, I'm I'm not saying it was easy, but I'm saying he had he knew his role and he felt like somebody there. Am I am I wrong? So you know it was very clear to us where he was coming from. And it's understandable, and it's what we talked about before. Prisonization. He now has adjusted to the system. Uh, he's not getting any trouble. Uh, <clears throat> he's getting a little preferential treatment because of his good behavior and working in different positions of trustworthiness in, in the prison. Uh, so, uh, <clears throat> you know, perfectly understandable. But again, you know, from our perspective, this is not a social institution. It's a correctional institution for people who are still a danger. And it's very expensive to keep them in there. And again, not that, you know, but that that's a reality too. Uh, so, uh, if you meet uh, the standard, then you should be paroled, and, and that was the case here. So uh, when it came to the decision, we both agreed unanimously, my partner and I, that uh, he should be paroled, and he was still like, I told you I don't want to be paroled, and we said, well, within 40 days you'll be paroled. You'll have a parole counselor who will you know, try and hook you up on the outside with housing, uh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and you know, uh, he eventually was, was, was paroled. And we're going to take a short uh, break. We are talking with Dr. John Patekas. He is author of the book, 50 Years Working in Criminal Justice. 
29 years as a probation officer, Seton Hall University professor, state parole board for 10 years. When we return, we're going to finish up our conversation about the parole hearing for the guy who didn't want to be paroled and much more. What is the Newsbreak app and why should you follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app? Newsbreak is your number one local news app for current events, free live news for you and your community. Download the Newsbreak app today for free and be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app. This is the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Return conversation with Dr. John Patekas, the criminal justice consultant. I say the, he's one of many, but he is really uniquely qualified. Probation officer for 29 years. Seton Hall University professor for 20 years. State parole board in New Jersey for 10 years. Author of the book, 50 Years Working in Criminal Justice. Uh, John, thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. We'll go back to the conversation about being in the New Jersey parole board and the gentleman who didn't want to be paroled. Uh, you, before we went to break, you mentioned you and your partner wasn't a murder. Uh, that you decided you wanted to parole him. He's gonna, he's qualified for parole. Is that correct? Right, right. Uh, yeah, he, he met you know uh, the criteria, and it was very clear. Even if we uh, uh, didn't want to parole him, uh, uh, the record, our recommendations are reviewed by an attorney in house or whatever. Uh, it's all tape recorded or whatever, and then you'll get questioned. Well, wait a minute, why'd you make that decision? You know, so uh, it's again, and we all know that. And so, uh, you know, you want to make the most valid decision based on the facts. You know, and so the facts were very clear that he didn't belong in prison anymore, you know. Uh, um, You know, the prisonization thing that we talked about, in that way he found a way to get along well in the system. The reverse of that, I find that inmates can go one of two ways. This is one way, uh, but the other way is then the career criminal who really uh, wants to stay in prison and likes that lifestyle uh, can find a gang within the prison get contraband such as a cell phone, drugs, or whatever, uh, making deals with other inmates and even some correction officers, unfortunately, or whatever, and um, is, is continuing a life of crime within the prison system. You know, so that could be another effect of prisonization. Uh, but, you know, we would hope, uh, like, more of them would come over to the other side where, uh, okay, look, you know, uh, take the best that you can out of a bad situation, take all the counseling courses, the vocational courses, the advice from the counselors or whatever. And I have seen that percentage. It's a smaller percentage right. that has made a good adjustment and able to turn their lives around, you know? So uh, it's not the, this thing about once a criminal, always a criminal. And I'll always, you know, defend that because I've seen enough other positive cases where because of a mistake, they turned their life around and well, the prison was a wake-up call. That's the absolute truth. I, I tell people all the time, when it comes to the prison population in the United States, you've got a percentage 
percentage that would never be there if it wasn't for drugs and alcohol. They would never have done the things they did. Then you have a right. very large percentage of people who had five or ten minutes of their life that were really bad. They reacted in a bad way. When you have this this population of violent career criminals, and that's a small percentage, they can really ruin your life. But the vast majority are not like that. I want to go right. back to the guy that you paroled. Because so many people tend to go to prison and they wind up getting arrested within hours of being released. What was the, the status of this guy? Um, you know, the follow-up, uh, I don't know. We don't always get uh, feedback on the people we paroled or whatever. Because on any given day, you can do anywhere from 5 to 10, maybe 12 hearings or whatever. And now, again, you know, and the full-time people are doing that like four days a week. Uh, you know, so uh, if it's a, a very serious offense or whatever, uh, most of the violations when they come out of prison are, are not serious ones. So, in other words, if it was a shoplifting thing or uh, some other minor uh, fighting incident or whatever, uh, and end up in municipal court or whatever. It's probably that's not going to be enough to send them back to prison. Okay, right. but if they get out and they get into an aggravated assault or something more serious, then that'll violate their parole and they go back to prison. You know, right? Uh, so, so you don't even though, you don't uh, know what happened to this guy when he's paroled. No, no, I, I we didn't. I, uh, we didn't get any feedback, and I mean, I you know, I guess if you. Want to delve long enough and hard enough, you know, you, you can find out or whatever. Nah, but nah. you know, there's such an abundance of cases constantly coming on. You're you're called upon other things or whatever, so you have to just you know keep moving on. Uh, you know, and, and again, if it's a high profile case. I mean, you know, the, the previous one we talked about, uh, everybody was following that very closely, right. you know, for years. Well, my but, hopes uh, are that, that this person, when they were paroled, that uh, they they took full advantage and, and are leading a good, happy, productive life now. That's what I want to think. I, you know, I would love to believe I don't anymore, the, the white pick offense, and that we all live happily ever after, and we laughed and laughed and laughed. That's not the case for a lot of people, but hopefully good things happen for this guy. Yeah, well, well, I'm guessing that uh, the social service, I mean, he was not a danger, and he was physically not in the best of health or whatever, so I, I don't see him doing uh, a lot of crimes or major crimes or anything like that. You know, uh, they'll try and hook him up with some social service agencies, and he'll get some assistance with that, uh, maybe into a rooming house, et cetera. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking it, I would predict that it went in that direction, I mean, without doing the actual follow-up, you know, because we never heard anything back. I mean, again, you'll hear back from from others on the board, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people in different departments there. Uh, and uh, if it was a real high profile, you'll hear something about it. Um, right, I but, get that. You know, uh, and like I said, if I really wanted to track it down, you know, I guess I could have. But so many other things are coming up all the time in other cases that, you know, it's a matter of I've, I can count on one hand and have fingers left over. People that came up to me and said, hey, you helped save my life. Uh, you arrested me for drunk driving or, or whatever it was. I had a horrible drug problem. I cleaned up my life. I got back. And we always wanted to hear those things. Uh, we wanted yeah, to see it yeah. more than anything else. But quite honestly, you, you made a great point that we're busy. They're busy. Life goes on. And they may have great intentions of telling you, but that doesn't happen. Yeah. I want to shift gears. You wrote this book, 50 Years Working in Criminal Justice. Now, you're uni uniquely qualified. But what possessed you to write this book? 
Well, you know, as time was going on and the clock was ticking, uh, I, I thought about it for years. You know, and it's a small paperback book, uh, and there's a lot involved in uh, in writing a book or whatever. Part of it was, uh, and I was teaching a lot of uh, first-year students, uh, I wanted to devote a certain amount of it to biographical information. Like, this is what helped me get through the system and was helpful to progress along the lines of whatever. So first three or four chapters are sort of biographical, like this is how I started off. This is what I did to move ahead. Uh, this is what, you know, organizations I joined, etc. cetera. Uh, you know, uh, and then, you know, I, I branched into how the system has changed from uh, I started in in the late 60s in the, in the system and, uh, you know, right through uh, 2000 or whatever. And when people say uh, the system is broken or whatever, no, uh, it's not perfect, but it's a heck of, it's not broken. I know how law enforcement was in the 60s. And you, you may not remember, but uh, during the riots in, in, in our state and everything else and how police handled it, and you fast forward it now, 20, 30, 40 years, uh, they're much better trained, handling it much oh, better. The training is, a, is the by far and, a lot better. And look, there's so many yeah. things we saw. Just look at the civil rights protests. I am, as a retired police right. officer, I am shocked that they did that stuff. I, I really cannot understand or comprehend yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were coming out with the clubs, oh, the yeah. fire hoses, uh, you know, uh, et cetera. I mean, a uh, police officer was stomped to death in uh, one of our uh, towns in, in New Jersey during those 60 riots or whatever, you know. Uh, but, um, yeah, so, but that's because people are misinformed, right. you know. And well, they're, they're led the by the, the, the nose of what the media tells them, and the media's got an agenda. And that, that agenda well, basically right, right. is... They need to get viewers or readers. So they're going to say whatever needs exactly. to be said to, to capture your attention. Just just do the little experiment. I don't care who you watch. Morning news on cable, it's pundits giving their opinions, speculation, and what might be. There's very little actual news. I, I, right. We're almost out of time. Where can people get more information and buy your book? Yeah, the 50 years uh, in criminal justice, and then has a list of uh, different career opportunities for for students uh, or for for those interested in getting into the field or whatever. Uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, Amazon dot com uh, has it. Uh, <clears throat> uh, the local bookstores um, uh, may have it. Um, you know, so uh, again, uh, it's several years old now, so uh, you can even get it at a reduced. You know, there you uh, go. Well, just do time. a Google search for 50 years working in criminal justice. Dr. John Patekas, I want to thank you so much for your service, number one. Number two, thank you for telling your story on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Both very much appreciated. Oh, my pleasure, sir. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's jay at letradio.com. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.